This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, welcome to episode 189 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We've got a lot to talk about this week, including the full men's basketball schedule release, as well as our weekly Sunbelt Roundup and previewing the Troy Trojans coming to Center Park Stadium on Saturday as the Panthers look to improve to 5-0. But first, as promised on last week's pod, we're very excited to welcome Mike Holmes, former Georgia State Associate Athletic Director for Sports Communications and co-founder of the All Blue All NIL Collective for Georgia State to the Thursday Night Podcast. In case you somehow missed the news last week, Mike has been working with former Panther football player and current Atlanta area attorney Gabe Mobley to establish the official name, image, and likeness collective of Georgia State Athletics under the All Blue All NIL brand. Mike, it's always good to have you on, so thanks for joining us to talk about the work that you and Gabe are doing with this new NIL collective and supporting Georgia State student-athletes. Absolutely. It's always great to be back on with my favorite guys. Yeah, I mean, last time we did this was like your little farewell after your years <laughs> serving the university as SID. But somewhere, like, I didn't think you were going to go back to doing that. But I did hope at some point you'd find your way back into the Georgia State sphere because I think people like you being behind the university is going to help grow this athletics to where it needs to go. And so glad you found your avenue back into that. I guess the first place to go with this is kind of when did this start and how did this come about like that? Yeah, well, you know, even though I'll take a quick step back, even those months that I wasn't a part of anything, you guys know as much as anybody that I'm supporting the Panthers and, and will will until my dying day. Um, I, I've invested too much in this program, plus two, two degrees. Um, so I love Georgia State as much as anybody. Um, about to, where we probably about nine, 10 months ago, um, sat down for, for lunch with some people, influential people at Georgia State. Um, of, of how we could continue to, to progress. Um, and obviously there's a lot of, as you guys know, a lot of great things going on. And, and that's kind of where it started, probably about last November. Um, Gabe and I kind of took, took a step back and we're like, all right, what is it going to take to do this and do it successfully? Um, as you guys know, I'm not one to just throw my, throw my hat you know, in the ring and, and not put forth the full energy and full effort uh, of doing something successful. And so that's kind of where it started. I wanted to make sure, you know, with – with the time commitments of, of my real job on the side and, and family and everything else that's been going on since I left Georgia State, I wanted to make sure it was the right time and the right thing. And the more, my, more and more I thought about it, it was like, you know what, this is a way that I can really make an impact on Georgia State. Yeah, I can send my donation to the pack every year, you know, just like many of our fans do. But how can I, can I really, really impact the lives of our student athletes? And obviously, this, this is now, you know, we're, I guess, on the third year where NIL is a thing. And and so Gabe and I really kicked things off in March. Um, honestly, if, if if I was being truthful, I would have hoped that we would have had this thing launched last middle of last summer. Um, starting a business from scratch uh, takes a little longer than you think when you're trying to do some other things as well. Um, so, you know, it, it played out a little longer than we wanted to. But honestly, with the, the start that football has had, um, I don't know if it could have come at a better time. Always a pleasure to have you on, Mike. Um, you know, I, I I wanted to ask quickly just, you know, why now? You know, you just mentioned, obviously, that you were looking to start this thing, you know, last year. But what about, you know, the last couple of years or the last few months have you kind of uh, pegged to target this time as the right time for Georgia State to really kind of go, you know, all blue, all in? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I talked to some other people as the process was going on to see 
I mean, if we're being honest, if, if anybody else within um, the realm of Georgia State and the fan base was going to start one and, and there really wasn't anybody jumping off to do it. Um, so that's part of it. And so when, when we sat down and we really launched this thing off in March, it started a long process of everything from incorporating a business, getting a website going, um, all the other elements to this, um, the social media stuff. Um, it, it, it just took a little longer than I wanted it to. I mean, if, yeah, as I said, when we launched our business uh, in, I guess it was probably like middle of March, um, I would have said, all right, you know, we'll probably be up in three months. Middle of the summer, we'll have this thing running at, at, at the latest by the time football reports on August 1st. And we figured that'd be a good kicking off point for this year. Um, as I dug deeper and deeper and, and my job responsibilities and Gabe's job responsibilities, you know, kind of kind of own our lives a little bit. Um, it took a little longer, you know, even when it came to starting a bank account, it was about a five week process um, just because the amount of paperwork and stuff that goes into it. And some of that, that stuff's the stuff that I didn't maybe time frame in the back of my head of, Hey, it's going to take this long. So we kept pushing forward and pushing forward as quickly as we could. Um, and then honestly, it got to the point where it was like, all right, football is here. I took a Friday that I had basically off of work. And it was just like, all right, I'm going to finish everything this day. I'm going to push out all the rest of the emails and we are going to launch on Tuesday. And so obviously that was that was kind of the ending point of, of last week. Um, as Gabe and I have kind of joked about it, it was kind of like, all right, this is the end of running a marathon and we're going to now start up and run another marathon. Um, and, and that's where we're at right now. And, and there's still a lot of pieces to this thing that we haven't even touched of what I want to do just yet. Um, and that's the exciting thing of the response we got just in the first seven, eight days since we launched. Um, it's been a great response. I think we're, we've only at the tip of the ed, tip, tip of the iceberg of what we're going to be able to do with this, and what we're going to be able to do for our student athletes. And let's kind of pick up there because I feel like we should take the, the full and comprehensive look back. Obviously, when we saw the news being kind of sports sickos and knowing the landscape of college football, we fully understood what getting an IO collective meant. But just as a big picture thing, what is it and how is it going to help Georgia State student athletes? So, so there's really there's there's two elements to look at this. Um, the simplest element is that fans, donors can donate money to the collective. And in turn, the, the collective will be able to use that money to give it to student athletes um, in a variety of different ways. The biggest thing that we will do from our end is when it is time to allocate money to a student athlete, they will basically in turn um, be a promoter for the collective. Um, so. Let's just give you, I'll give you a hypothetical situation. Um, we meet with a football player. We say, we're going to give you $600 over the next six months. One time a month, you have to go on your social media handles, whatever you have, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, whatever, and promote the collective. And each time you promote the collective, we're going to push $100 into your account. So what that allows us to do is obviously promote the collective more and support our student athletes. That's kind of the simplest form of it. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of gray area that is, as you guys know, and you guys have studied, you know, whether student athletes go somewhere else because they're promised certain things or not, you know, or aren't able to get things. Other. Obviously, that's going to be a part of all of this. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say we're going to, you know, raise $10 million and be in the Georgia and Florida and Alabama collectives of the world. Would I love for it to happen? Yeah. Am I going to push for it to happen? Absolutely. We're going to keep it realistic for right now and see how we can build this thing. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is we'll be able to help. And we've already gotten actually a couple of responses on this, which has been pretty cool because I wasn't expecting it just yet. 
we will have companies that come to us and say, hey, we want Georgia, some Georgia State student athletes to promote our clothing line, our, our restaurant, whatever the case is. I'm able to go to the coaches and say, hey, you know what? I need a football player, a men's golfer, and a women's tennis player for this company who's interested. And here's, here's the outline. Here are the terms of what they're looking to provide. Here's what the student athlete would need to provide. We basically marry it all together. When the student athlete provides a service, we're able to put the money right into their bank account. Um, and, you know, and so, you know, you see some of the bigger ones that get some of the love on social media. Yeah, I mean, that stuff happens. A lot of what NIL is, is these smaller deals behind the scenes that think about when you guys were college kids. If somebody came up to you and said, hey, post six times on social media in the next six months and we're going to give you $500. I don't know about you guys. I, I was in a great financial situation in college. I still would have jumped at it. Hell, I'd still jump at it right now if, if, if somebody wanted to you know, present the money to me. So that's where you're going to see a lot of it. And as I said, we've already had about three or four companies reach out to us. Um, and I've started having discussions with a couple of coaches and director of ops uh, on some things of, of kind of the way our flow is going to be. I'm actually going to be presenting to a team uh, already scheduled next Tuesday. Um, we're looking at kind of a how can the coaching staff really get behind this to help their student athletes and, and really um, give a positive image of what we're trying to do. So those are kind of the two ways. And, and for right now, it's, hey, you donate to the collective. It's going into one big pot that. Um, we're able to use, because we did have some startup costs, Gabe, but I will also say Gabe and I are taking nothing for, from this. Our whole goal right now is to give everything we that comes in back to the student athletes, cover the costs we have, and that's it. In the very near future, probably within the next two or three weeks, fans will be able to go on and donate to specific sports. So if you want to donate and you want to know that your money is going to football, cool, it'll go to football. If you want to go to tennis, so on and so forth. You'll also be able to take it a step further that if you really want it to go to a certain student athlete, and you'll be able to do that. Um, we're still working throughout, through some of the details on, on how that exactly will work. Um, but that's the basic premise behind all of it. No, I mean, I think that's great. Like, that seems like a really good system. You know, obviously, once you guys get that up and running, um, you know, a thought that just kind of occurred to me was I know Georgia State has done a good job, you know, promoting the Panther Athletic Club over the last few years. Um, and I, I wanted to know, is there some sort of, you know, partnership agreement between the two uh, is there some like a tie-in of sorts um kind of between that organization and the collective that you're creating here so at the end of the day the way way any and all collectives across the country work are we are third parties not technically we are not affiliated with the university we are able to be the official collective of the university just like center park credit union to be the official bank of the university um so from that perspective there is no um I'll say working between the two parties, completely separate entities. With all of that said, um, we are very much all working together. Um, I have I text with Charlie Cobb and, and some other people within the athletic department seemingly on a daily basis because they see and understand the value of, of what this can do. And I think both of us agree we don't really view it as competing dollars. People that want to give to the Panther Athletic Club and use it toward being able to purchase tickets or facility enhancements or any of the other great causes, they're going to do that. On our side, there's also people who want to give directly to student athletes. They feel that, hey, yeah, you know what? I can give $5,000 to the pack. Is it how is it really affecting a student athlete directly? 
I believe it truly is. And obviously, that's not just me saying that from working in the athletic department for 18 years. But there are people that truly want to see the impact on a student athlete's life. So if they say, hey, I'm going to give $5,000 to Brady, you know, they want to know that Brady is going to actually get the $5,000. And so that's kind of where we're able to come in. And I think just with the changing dynamics of college athletics right now, and we're seeing what the transfer portal is and, and everything else that's a part of it, um, this is kind of a way to to help us um, alleviate that a little bit. You know, at, at the end of the day, if, you know, as we saw, well, we had four four football players last year um, that made the decision to transfer out of Georgia State and go on to play at some Power 5 schools. You know, I don't know that this or anything else we can do is, is going to truly change that until the rules change. Um, but if we can kind of help make an impact here and there, maybe they don't think about transferring. Or, or as, I, as I had a discussion with a donor last night, as much as I do think this is going to help football and men's basketball, I think where it's going to really help are the non-revenue sports, where if, if I can provide $1,000 to a beach volleyball player or $1,000 to a women's tennis player, that money can potentially really make a difference in their lives. And, and that's not to say it can't make the, a difference in the lives of a football player or men's basketball player. But I think if it's competing against a power five, um, yeah, we're going to try, as I said, we're going to try to do it. Absolutely. Um, financially, we just got to see, see how this plays out. And kind of flipping it around to the other side and you teased stuff you're working on. And I'm sure that I'm getting ahead of you and asking this question as far as specifics, but as far as like the the fan like the donor the the fan side like what they're getting, I'm assuming there's going to be some opportunities as far as that goes, other than just you know the, the feeling of donating to your university collective and feeling good about it. Yeah, we are going to try to work through some of that stuff, and and part of it is how much money do I? I know there's this you know you got to spend money to make money. Completely agree with that marketing strategy. That's just part of the way the world works. I don't want to turn around and, you know, we've, we've been fortunate in the first week we've raised almost $10,000 for me to turn around and basically spend it to try to, you know, whether it's buy shirts or quarter zips or whatever it is to try to use to, to enhance it. Could I do it? Yeah. And, and at the end of the, the end of the day, Gabe and I are the ones in control of the money. We can kind of do what, what needs to be done. I want to really try to start getting money back into the hands of our student athletes before I start doing any of that extra stuff. Um, we are going to launch, and it's already a link on the website, um, a merchandise, a bunch of merchandise stuff um, through our friends with the Oki Agency and their Lewis Lloyd collection. Um, we're going to have some cool stuff um, coming in the not too not too distant future. They they've been on board with us since day one. They helped build the whole website. Anybody that doesn't know um, the Oki Agency, Stephen Oki and, and Alan Fowler uh, both played men's golf for us here at Georgia State and have been loyal to to the program um, since they left. Um, we're obviously a big part of the Our City uh, video or uh, video series a couple years ago in the in the movie about the first team uh, that we put together during the pandemic. So they're behind this thing 100%. So we're going to do some merchandise stuff stuff there. But we will also do some other stuff that, you know, if a fan donates a certain, you know, certain level, they'll receive whatever that is. Um, but as I said, right now, my biggest thing is just let's get this thing going. Let's raise as much money as we can uh, for student athletes start getting it in their hands. And I think as they're able to start promoting it, then we'll start to see even more money come in. And then we can kind of start to change maybe a little bit of the mindset of, of how and where we spend our money. 
very amusing to me that you spent so much time at Georgia State and, you know, you couldn't stay away long enough. You're right back here working in some capacity, you know. <laughs> hey, you know what? Once you once you're, you you bleed blue and white, you bleed blue and white to, to your last day. And, um, you know, and even when I came on and talked to you guys about it, it, it wasn't I was leaving Georgia State because, you know, I, I didn't like the AD or I didn't like the president or the student. You know, it was, hey, 18 years is one hell of a run. Um, there are things that I've wanted to do that I haven't been able to do when it comes to being a father and a husband. Um, and I, and fortunately, you know, I've been gone now, what are we about 18 months, been able to do all those things. Um, but at the same point, there's always that itch in the, you know, in the back of me that just, I miss working with our coaches. I miss working with our student athletes, but I don't miss getting home from a football game at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, um, taking 42 flights in a year. So this is a way I can really give back, um, really rally our fan base behind what we think is a great cause. Um, and as I said, at the end of the day, our goal is to make an impact. And, and so if I can kind of do all of that without the getting home at four o'clock in the morning from road trips um, or being gone for five or six days at a time, I think it's a pretty good win. Yeah. And just, I guess, to put a bow on all this, that ties in also with, you know, Gabe's former player. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you like having him around because he's doing all the lawyerly stuff that is involved in what it, I have to imagine is very complicated legal mumbo jumbo. Uh, but that's also part of it. You know, you coming back as former uh, associate athletic director and him a former player. It is Georgia State at its core in this NIL collective. No, you're, you're exactly right. And I'll be perfectly honest that if 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 this had just been a me thing, there is no chance that this would have ever happened. Um, Gabe is brighter beyond anything I've ever understood when it comes to the legal world. Um, he has read more contracts and, and signed off on more paperwork already. Um, then I have probably signed off on in my life. And that's just in the last four or five months. Um, he really knows his stuff. And, and just like me from a, from just an alumni side, you know, obviously I'm extremely passionate about Georgia state. Well, Gabe and, and what he gave for the football program and being a four year starter, and um, having a really successful, uh, career and, and he'll be the first one to tell you. And, and he's, he has said it in some other pieces that the football program gave him everything he now has a chance to have in life, including working right up into, you know, he started working on his law degree while he was, was still a student athlete. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's kind of bringing the best of both worlds, the kind of the administrative world and the student athlete world together. Um, and, and the partnership has been great. Uh, I knew Gabe obviously when he, when he was a student athlete at Georgia state, um, when it comes to, you know, offensive linemen and stuff, from an SID perspective, we probably aren't working with them as, as much as maybe a quarterback or, um, you know, some of the other positions. Um, but it was always a great, from a student-athlete perspective, was always a great young man. Anytime we asked him to do anything, was always glad to do it. I've gotten to know him now uh, more in the last six months. Um, and as much as I was impressed with him when he was at Georgia State, I'm 10 times more impressed um, now and what he's become and what he's, what he's doing on the legal side of things and, and what he wants to keep doing but also the respect that he has for Georgia state. And I wish that all student athletes could have that same passion. Um, and that's not just a Georgia state problem. It's, it's something that's across, across the world of college athletics. Um, you know, there's many student athletes that just leave their university after four years, get their degree. And, and, and that's kind of it. You never hear from them again. And Gabe really wants to try to make an impact um, with this and other ways. Uh, and so, you know, it was exciting to, to kind of kick that off. And, and as I said, continue to build a relationship there. And, and I, I think it's going to be one that lasts for a long time. 
we All definitely right. look forward to seeing where it grows. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, ask for too many specifics because I'm sure there's NDAs and <laughs> contracts and stuff. Um, but at least, you know, I, I want to know, is there any fun brand partnerships potentially in the pipeline? Are we going to get like a air conditioning company, Dakota's Crawford situation? You got the Icy Hopkins. I, I will say this. We are extremely open for anybody that's listening out there. Um, please feel free to email us at allblueallnil at gmail.com. Um, what has been cool so far, and, and so no contracts are signed just yet, so I kind of have to play that card. Um, two of the groups that have already reached out to us have Georgia State ties, um, and that's what I think is pretty cool. You know, they're, they're alums. Um, they have connections to, to the university. I think we're going to see a lot of that. Um, you know, yeah, would I love to go sign a deal with Coca-Cola or Home Depot for, for a student athlete? Yeah, of course. It would be great. Um, but I think we can really help some of these, you know, I'm, I'm going to say smaller businesses and I hope that, that that's in no way meant to be disrespectful to them. Um, you know, the non fortune 500 companies, um, what we can do with them, um, and, and get creative in, in certain ways. And I think as Gabe and I kind of get the foundation of this settled in a little bit more, um, I think it's going to give us a chance to be more proactive to going out and, and just kind of like the ones you, you know, like you just mentioned. Um, how do we find an air conditioning deal? Um, you know, right now we're definitely probably more in a little bit of the reactive side of, hey, people are reaching out to us. I've had donors reaching out to us, um, just getting all the stuff. I mean, there's still some stuff with our donation site that I haven't created, been able to have time to set up just yet that I really want to, um, that I think will help us build a database of, of pushing news and notices and, and stuff out there. Um, so, yeah, we'll get creative. And, and with that said, if anybody has some creative ideas, feel free to shoot an email and we will, uh, we will credit where appropriate. Really looking forward to seeing where it grows. Feels like perfect time, especially like you mentioned with the football start and uh, hope the excitement continues to grow for this. Cause you know, this, I think is the two or three other Sunbelt schools have a collective set up yet, something like that. So Georgia right. state has a chance where they're at to kind of take a step with this. Yeah, the numbers you know, are still a little low or lower than I would have thought in the Sun Belt. Um, you know, the the one that kind of uh, hit home a little bit was Georgia Southern got a about a one month start on us. Not that there's a rivalry there or anything, um, but that that one kind of made me go, all right, I got to get this thing finished and get to the finish line. Um, but I think it, it's a great start. And, yeah, and you know what? The one thing I do want to say is, obviously, we've talked a lot about football, football, and and, and what they're doing. But really, at the end of the day, this is for all of our student athletes and our soccer teams are off to a great start this year. And, you know, basketball season's right around the corner. And I know there's a lot of high hopes for Coach Hayes in his second year and, and what Coach Hill's building. And, and then, you know, we'll go right into the spring um, and just try to keep that momentum going. Honestly, um, the one person who I've probably talked to more than anybody when it comes to this collective um, is Coach Stromdahl and the and, and his, his staff. Um, I think part of that's because Coach – Coach Brad and I have gone back to when he was an assistant coach at Georgia State. And so we've known each other and stayed in touch even over the years when he was gone. Uh, but he's excited and he knows what it can do for his program. So I really think they're going to really make an impact, um, especially, you know, as, as we kind of get this thing kicked off. So, um, you know, as I said, we've talked a lot of football, uh, but the, this truly is for everybody. And I, I think we can truly make an impact in, in different ways for every single team that we have at Georgia State. Mike, as always, a pleasure. We'll have you on as many times as uh, we can have you on just as an excuse. 
Well, I always, hey guys, I always appreciate it. And, you know, I have continued to listen. You guys have been my, uh, my, my insight into athletics while I've been out, you know, not inside the program anymore. Um, and so really excited to see that you guys keep growing this thing and getting more exposure. And so anything I can do to, always to help you guys out as well. You guys know I'm always here for you. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you being here. Always fun. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about the men's basketball full schedule recently got released, and there's a lot to unpack here. We finally have the full picture of the entire season for the Panthers starting out October 29th, Sunday, uh, versus Morehouse exhibition at the Convocation Center, traveling up to Nashville, Tennessee to face Belmont on Monday, November 6th, and then the Sunbelt Mac Challenge facing Western Michigan in Kalamazoo on Saturday, November 11th. And then the Capital Classic at the Convocation Center, hosting Northern Illinois and Little Rock on November 17th and 19th. That's a Friday and a Sunday, respectively. And then in a rare in-season home-and-home, Panthers traveled to Little Rock on the 22nd of November. That's a Wednesday to face Little Rock before moving on to Charlotte at Charlotte on November 25th at Kennesaw State on Saturday, December 2nd, and then returning home on December 4th, that's a Monday, hosting the Middle Georgia State Knights in the Convocation Center for heading down south to face Mercer on December 9th, and then all the way out to Provo, Utah to face BYU on Saturday, December 16th, before heading back home to the Convocation Center to face Tacoa Falls on Tuesday, December 9th, leading right into our Sunbelt schedule uh, opening versus Arkansas State. We've already discussed the Sunbelt schedule. But gentlemen, interesting stuff and out of conference this season. What's your thoughts? All right, let's just call a spade a spade. Um, the home schedule is not great. Uh, you got to work in that there's going to be another MAC team on what is it, February 10th for the home game of the MAC Sunbelt Challenge. But obviously, if you're talking yourself into a MAC opponent, uh, that's not going to really move the schedule needle. The one good thing you have is you're trying to look forward. The Charlotte game, the Kennesaw State game will return and be a home game for Georgia State next season to go along with Auburn coming to Georgia State because remember that game got pushed back to next season. So, And I believe the Mercer game is also home and home. So the home schedule is basically already set for next year and that one is going to be a pretty good one. Just means there's not a ton of just sexy names that jump out at you for this game, for, for this season. Yeah, it's pretty, I don't want to say dry, but, you know, it definitely is not the level of excitement that there was last year for that home schedule. Um, But I think the schedule as a whole is pretty solid. You know, you've definitely got some high, some good around peer opponents. um, And then, you know, traveling to BYU is definitely a fun little, you know, road trip if, you know, fans can swing it. And I mean, obviously that's, Definitely on the other side of the country, so I understand for a lot of people that is pretty tough. But, you know, it's nice when Georgia State plays some different teams and, you know, really tries to put their name out there. You know, BYU wasn't a crazy team last year. They ended up just under 20 wins at 19. Um, you know, had a medium season in the West Coast Conference. But it's it's definitely been a team that has been around over the past few years. And, um, you know... They've made tournaments before. They've gotten at large bids at large bids recently. So it's nice when, you know, these things can kind of link up this way. Yeah, I mean the the actual opponents I don't have a problem with. And 
you know, we spent so much time talking last year about not winning a road game and only going to two road opponents in the non-con. This year is the opposite. You've got seven road games, some like-for-like near opponents, like David was saying, and then BYU, who is the biggest test, I think, of the out-of-conference games, but that's a good one. And, you know, right before the holidays, uh, you'll have the one more tune-up with Dakota Falls right after. So an opportunity for maybe the only real resume win there uh, against BYU, but past that, some winnable games and some, you know, everyone's been clamoring for the Kennesaw State game, I think on both sides, to happen. So that series finally starting this year. Yes, it's the road game in Kennesaw this time, but... All in all, I think that that part of it is a plus that that series is finally happening. Some, they just came off their first tournament berth. Georgia State's been kind of the class of Georgia basketball the last decade. And so some clashing going on there with I feel like they're probably feeling they can take that mantle and Georgia State's not going to want to give it up this past season aside. And uh, yeah, I guess we're going full in on the Mac because you got the two, uh, one to be determined. And then Northern Illinois coming as part of the Capital Classic, which uh, is now just three teams, not four anymore, as was originally scheduled. Uh, the third team who they would have played on the Saturday escapes me. Uh, so I, in some ways, I feel like losing that third game and not having that full, you're playing every game of a weekend, kind of negates the whole point of the midseason tournament where you're getting kind of experience against like what you're going to have in Pensacola playing multiple games on multiple days in a row, but still good to go. Still good to get those games scheduled. And uh, yeah, I guess having Little Rock as the home and home kind of spells out that getting this schedule filled out was getting to be difficult for Jonas Hayes. Uh, And it is what it is. Um, Little Rock's not been as great as they were maybe when they had Marquise Knoll. So if anything, maybe just a chance for two wins there. And yeah, overall, I'd say... Last year was set up to where like you had to go over 500 uh, just because you're playing multiple non-D1s and it's set up pretty nicely in that way. This year, I think it's going to be more like as long as they're over 500, I don't think you need to panic because there aren't that many straight up losses on the non-con schedule. And so as we get towards the start of conference play, the record might be about similar, hopefully a little bit better than it was heading into conference play last year. But I guess that's where I'd set the expectation level for the non-conference is not going to tell you a ton but if they're losing more games and they're winning even in that part of the schedule against fairly winnable games uh the concern maybe could rise at that point and well it would be justified um i will just say i think the way that they play this year as opposed to last year kind of matters a bit more to me only because with last year's non-conference schedule You know, I think we had some questions very early on about like, okay, how good is this team going to be? And I'm not saying that they, you know, I don't think we saw 10 wins with how they played necessarily. You know, they still had a very close loss to Georgia Tech. Um, You know, then they played and beat Mercer in a very similar fashion. Um, You know, they they played very close games early. And then it was through I think like three quarters of the Belmont game before they kind of made that comeback at the end there um, to where they, they really seemed like they were a pretty gritty, a tough team. um, And it kind of just all fell apart from there. Um, I'm not saying that necessarily is how I foresee this year to be. um, 
But, you know, you could definitely see the signs of a team that was going to struggle if a certain if a couple of things didn't go their way. And, you know, last year was the situation where it didn't go their way. Scoring, you know, <laughs> scoring the main thing there. Uh, yes. Were three point <laughs> shots going in or not. Right. Exactly. Um, and, you know. Yeah, I think 500 is a certainly a good goal, but I, I just wanted to see more consistent basketball um, out of them, you know, kind of smooth out the droughts, score the basketball, definitely be a team that, you know, puts it into the hoop. And, you know, then you can go into Sunbelt play feeling probably better about yourselves than you did last year. You know, and just because of the new faces, there's a way that it's similar to last year that I still think there is going to be some of that unknown period for us as fans. Um, maybe also as players kind of figuring out the rotations, everyone actually playing competitive games with each other because there are so many people who weren't on the team last year. And so you hope it doesn't go to the point where last year at the end of the non-con, we were kind of feeling like, I don't know about this team, this the scoring is droughts are just kind of an issue. Um, but I think it will be similar to that. We're not going to necessarily have the same opinion of the team when they tip against Belmont as we do you know, later on as we're entering Sunbelt play. I think we're still going to be learning about them a lot just as we were last year and learning about Jonas Hayes and his staff because this is an important year for them. I mean, this is the first time we've really talked basketball since last year, since the tournament, since they lost Texas State and the season was over at 10 and 21. And we haven't kind of faced down the obvious fact of like, this has got to be a winning year. This has got to be like you've restored the momentum you had been going the previous years under Lanier, obviously going back to Ron Hunter as well, establishing yourself as the best team in Georgia the last decade. Last year was far, far from that. And I think that the positives you look to is that this is almost entirely Jonas's roster. Now it's all the guys he wants. And you saw them target shooting just depth down low as the areas that maybe got a little bit lax last year on the team that struggle. And so there's reasons to look at, Hey, they fixed it, but you know, this is when they're going to have to prove it, that things have gotten better and almost feels like all those road games and the challenges and just the getting out of your comfort zone, as much as that will be, might be a blessing. Uh, really test this team early uh, in 2023. That's a good point. You know, I think, I want to say you said something to the effect last year of, you know, the reason they're playing so many home games is because, you know, Coach Hayes was trying to develop his footing as a, as a you know, a basketball coach. But he and straight up said it was because they hadn't been in the arena. He wanted them to get games in that new arena, get shots up. Yeah, you know, and it's it's one thing to, you know, look at a schedule like that, and it's one thing to kind of divorce the play from, you know, from what we as uh, what people expect out of Georgia state, but you got to realize like a lot of those players just had no time playing together. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think this is a tournament or bust year for coaches. No, I, I, I was, I was thinking about that very concept. I think uh, yesterday or the day before I was just walking somewhere. Um, and I said to myself something like, man, I feel like Georgia state is about due for an NCAA appearance. And then I was like, wait, didn't they just go like a couple of years ago? Um, but at the same time, it, like you said, it is an important year. You know, you definitely want to see the growth. 10 wins is not the standard for Georgia state basketball. Um, and I think outside of some pretty significant injuries, um, 
I, I don't think that they're going to win only 10 games again. Um, I do think that they're better. I feel like they really did address some of the issues that they had um, last year. Now, are they going to work? And is this going to be, you know, supremely different basketball team? I, you know, I don't know. Who knows? We'll, you know, we'll see as things kind of settle down and as they get into the season. But I, I at least liked what I have seen um, from the people that they have been targeting. And like you said, they, you know, they've made a really concerted effort to target shooting specifically. And I think shooting was the biggest issue that they had last year um, when Odom wasn't on the court, you know, and they've also gotten better backups. The depth is better. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, we'll see. We'll definitely see as things kind of get into basketball season. And just the last thing, it's going to be different in the sense of, they haven't started on the road in a while. I'm trying to remember the last first game that was a road game. Uh, it's escaping me as we're talking about it right here, but certainly it hasn't happened in the last few seasons. And so they're opening the first game that counts going to be up in Nashville against Belmont. And so that'll be, I don't know if it's an adjustment for the players, but that'll just maybe be an adjustment for fans that there isn't that opener that uh, is maybe scheduled as a win. Um, though on that point, kind of close it out for me. Uh, only two non-D1s in the regular season schedule. Uh, you got the exhibition as well against Morehouse. But I think that, you know, that's progress. I think you want one at a max as we keep going, but two is better than it was last year, better than it's been the last few seasons. So we will take that step and hopefully maybe reduce it. Hey, that's the other part of next year's schedule is pretty set up. You don't have to reach for those games as much. Maybe get one right at the holidays and call that a day as far as that goes. I actually want to ask about that because I feel like the Sun Belt in terms of basketball and the Mac, they might not be like the Sun Belt might not want to partner with the Mac um, totally, but I feel like they're very complementary conferences in basketball. Like this is a really good tournament. I feel like The top of the Mac is maybe better than the top of the Sun Belt. The mid to the bottom of the Mac is not great. And it we can't really say much about that. Georgia State was bad last year, and that's why they're getting Western Michigan, who is similarly around them, like in the low 200s, 300s, when you look at Kempom or Net. So Georgia State's kind of made their own bet as far as that goes. And I think if you have a good start to the season, uh, that'll help you for getting a quality team because, like, if your net's one of the top four or five in the Sun Belt, that's when they're going to decide who you play in the February game. So Western Michigan on the road might not be that appetizing a matchup, but like Kent State, Toledo have been really good teams. Uh, you know, Buffalo worked them in as well. Georgia State does well in their non-conference and even at the start of conference play when they're setting that second matchup. It could mean that actually that second game in the challenge turns out to be a pretty tasty home game. And you're the home team in that game. So you're not the one having to up sticks in the middle of conference playing, go up into the North of the country. You get that out of the way in November. I'm assuming that'll switch for next season. I guess we'll see if, as long as this keeps going, but that is the other positive of the way that checked out is you get a, an extra home game in the middle of February. You don't have to go on the road. Yeah. I, I you know, I like what you said about the top of the league. I think you're right. Um, that was really what I was looking at uh, when I was, perusing just kind of last year's tournament and the way that last year went for that conference. Um, I don't know. It's it's just something that's interesting and we'll see how things move forward with it. Cause it, it's a good idea. Um, 
but it, it, it might not play out how some people think, I will say. All right, let's go ahead and move on into football talk. Of course, starting each and every football segment every week with the Sunbelt Roundup. So let's very quickly take a trip around the league and uh, talk about who did what this past week. Of course, we already know Georgia State 30, Coastal Carolina 17. We discussed at length in the postgame podcast earlier this week, which you can go check out on your podcast feed. Outside of that, Troy defeats Western Kentucky 27-24. Marshall defeats Virginia Tech 24-17. Georgia Southern clobbers Ball State 40-3. Old Dominion narrowly squeaks by Texas A&M Commerce by a score of 10-9. South Alabama falling to Central Michigan by a score of 34-30 in favor of the Chippewas. Wyoming edges out App State with a last-minute Field goal return, 22-19 in favor of the Cowboys. Arkansas State squeezes by Southern Miss, score of 44-37. Texas State defeats Nevada at home, 35-24. Louisiana defeats Buffalo, 45-38. And James Madison heads on the road to Utah State to defeat the Aggies by a score of 45-38. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this week in the Sun Belt? Let's hit the first one uh, that I think was a glaringly good thing. Marshall was favored by five and a half, but beating an ACC team, considering themselves to be better than an ACC team, you know, the Hokies problems aside, that puts on for the conference is the second straight year. The herd have done that Um, last year. They went and beat Notre Dame. Uh, Last year, they followed it up by losing at Bowling Green, uh, which was not so great. So hopefully they can keep the momentum going. If both Georgia State and Marshall can be undefeated heading into that game on October 14th, that would be one hell of a game. Uh, so for Georgia State's selfish purposes, it'd be nice if they're undefeated. But they they took care of their business with an ACC team. I wanted to say something about them first because, if I'm honest, the rest of the week, it's kind of a disappointment. Uh, you know, the Central Michigan loss from South Owl, not good after they just took care of business against Oklahoma State the week before. Uh, App really let that game at Wyoming slip. Uh, They outgained them majorly and just got beat on a big run. And then that field goal block returned for a touchdown. Uh, Texas State won by 11, but they were down by 17 and a half. It was kind of a weird game. And the one that probably stands out is just the, oh, dear God, how did that almost happen? Uh, Old Dominion only beat their FCS team, who's transitioning from D2, 10 to 9 and had to get a stop on a two-point conversion in the final minute to avoid going down and potentially losing to Texas A&M Commerce. And uh, did so with, I believe it was five turnovers going to the backup quarterback. So it was the team that had questions about the offense that benched their quarterback in the FCS game. And so basically everything you're looking for from that game didn't go their way, except that they got the win. Uh, But yeah, after a lot of good progress, and I think, Teams that have shown that they're decent squads, even some of the ones I just mentioned that struggled. A bit of a weird week for the belt. Um, what is Old Dominion football these days? Because I really don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I think generally Virginia Tech is not a good football team. Um, you know, I will still give Marshall their props for winning. You know, they were favored, took care of business. That's good. Still a Sunbelt over an ACC team, you know, fine. Virginia Tech's only win this year is against Old Dominion, who then followed that up with a win against Louisiana. And then a they were leading Wake Forest at home late in that game. 
and then they go and they were up 17 yeah they had that game in control i mean it was kind of a weird fluky chunk play thing but they were up three scores right this is a very troubling game like i I really no clue i don't know what to even think of this team outside of this i mean i'm glad that they didn't lose but this just can't happen i mean i gotta be i'll just be frank the worst sunbelt team can't lose to a transitioning from d2 to fcs this just it just can't happen hey i'm glad they it didn't, didn't though so that's the, true the streak lives on it's i think it's still since 2019 since there's been someone to lose one i Maybe think 2020. So. yeah it I is several so. games it is the best in the g5 uh, which counts for the same thing as all the other successes that you're trying to make yourself the best G5 conference. Uh, got it moved on kind of the same with Georgia state and uh, Rhode Island and Marshall and Albany earlier in the year. Uh, I guess I left out someone that I want to shout out that the fighting Butch Jones at Arkansas state got it done. I think they found their quarterback freshman Jalen Rayner uh, is the, uh, Yards per completion goat because he was 11 for 21 with 233 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, also 97 rushing yards. I think they finally found their guy. Uh, beat Southern Miss uh, separately. Uh, maybe fade Southern Miss. Worrying loss there after not looking great against FSU or Tulane. Yeah, I kind of asked the same question that I do with Old Dominion. Uh, October 7th is going to be. Uh... Horrible, horrible, truthfully. Um, the one thing that I will say, and you know, we'll talk about them um as we kind of preview upcoming week. That Troy game was very weird. Um, not a not the best offensive performance, even though they moved the ball. It was just very sloppy. And I think Western Kentucky, they really just could not do anything on the defense um on troy's defense um they they were not without their their chances though they really had a lot of chances and they just really could not find a way to you know move the ball like they uh, as we are accustomed to those hilltoppers doing and last thing for me i was going to say some of my troy stuff from that game which i think is a good win uh for when we talk about that game but uh yeah southern was up 40 to nothing on ball state 7.15 to go. Uh, Ball State's got a fourth down at the six-yard line. And they kicked a 23-yard field goal. And, I mean, that is the saddest surrender field goal ever. Congrats, you got on the board. But, like, come on. You're down 40. Just go for it. Have some guts there. What are we doing? Have some pride, man, for the love of the game. All right, and of course, we got to talk about this week's contest versus Troy, Saturday at 7 p.m. in Center Park Stadium on ESPN+. Coach John Sumrall is in his second year at the helm of Troy and sports a 14-4 record overall as head coach for the Trojans, who are 2-2 on the young season so far, with wins over Stephen F. Austin and Western Kentucky, and a loss at ranked Kansas State, as well as falling in their Sun Belt Conference opener against James Madison. Troy comes into Center Park Stadium one week after their 27-24 victory over Western Kentucky, during which quarterback Gunnar Watson threw for 349 yards and one touchdown to wide receiver Chris Lewis, and running back Kamani Vidal found his way into the end zone twice as a rusher. Going into this game, Troy leads the all-time series with Georgia State 5-4. Georgia State, however, has taken the last three games. In 2019, 2020, and 2021, the two teams did not play in 2022. So gentlemen, thoughts on the Trojans? Yeah, I mean, it feels like another advancement of kind of like, okay, 
you're going on the road to face Coastal to start Sunbelt play. Okay, you pass that test. Now you get the defending Sunbelt champions coming into your house. Chance to go. Every week is a new number. You know, last week it was heading into a game 3-0. and Can you be 4-0 and for the first time ever? Got a chance to be 5-0 and for the first time ever this time. And you know, I think even you know, the more games you win, the more people that are like, yeah, but who have they played? are not going to have anything they can say because you're getting more and more impressive wins. And this is the next to those. I mean, we talked about it when we did the season preview. Like, this is the games where you're going to get to prove yourself. But I think even optimistically, we were thinking in the terms of like, you may be entering this game three and one and feeling pretty good, or you're two and two and you need to get back above 500. Georgia State succeeded expectations at this point. And so I think everyone's excited. And now people are going to want to see a good show at home against a good Troy team. You know, it's going to be... A slugfest, they got a good defense, but these are the type of games that Georgia State has not really been able to look at in this way ever. Is ever too uh, no, wide I don't a think, term there? No, I don't think I that's don't a hot think, take at all. I, I think this is, this is truthfully uncharted territory for Georgia State. Like, I think... I, I absolutely am not going to get into any sort of season expectation. I'm not getting ahead of myself. Um, I just don't think Georgia State has ever really been in an opportunity to kind of declare their arrival. And I mean, and any way you slice it, it doesn't matter if you're playing, you know, FCS teams or it doesn't matter what level of competition. If Georgia State goes 5-0, and they are announcing an arrival of some sort. Like it doesn't necessarily mean they will do whatever by the end of the season. But like you said, they've never been at this level with this record. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're going to be ranked or anything like that. Um, but opening up Sunbelt play 2-0 and after, you know, going 3-0 and in, con- in non-conference so far, that is a pretty important step for anybody. Every team, you know, looks at their schedule come the first week of August when they really start fall practices. And that is exactly what the start that they want to get off to. So, yeah, I would not say I would say that you're correct that this is, you know, very uncharted territory for the Panthers. Yeah, to the sense of like sizing up who everyone else is playing, like the other teams that are starting conference play this week or that are, I don't know, one and oh, whatever, you got to look at who they're playing and if they're going to drop one and who you're going to have tiebreakers over. I mean, getting a little ahead of ourselves with that, because I think you still got to get like halfway through the conference late to really do that type of stuff. But to the point that this is new, I don't think there's been any time where Georgia State's been worried about anyone but Georgia State's record in conference play or their, their season record. It's because of the slow start sometimes because they've dropped games to start in conference play and it was like, all right, well, They've got two losses already, so there's basically no scenario where they're going to be the, the team that wins the Sun Belt. They've got the best odds to win the East per FBI right now. Strangely, Marshall has the best odds to win the conference, uh, despite having less good odds to win the East. Uh, I feel like that's a little bit of a weird fudging of the numbers there, but it, we didn't really go into this part of it when we did the post-game show, which Jordan talked about earlier when we talked about the Coastal game. Uh, separating it out for the first time this week. Uh, Georgia State's 4-0. Like, if you're listening to this as a Georgia State fan, whether you've been, like, living and dying with this team as they have, you know, gone through some really bad years, the Trent Miles time when they're going to FBS, or whether you're a newer, you know, student in the last couple of years or just new to this podcast, whatever, not nearly as died in the wool with all the ups and downs, like, 
celebrate this. They're 4-0. It's the first time it's ever happened. They got a chance to do it again, add another number to that notch. Like, of course, everything could go crashing down because this is a really good league and there's nowhere to hide in the rest of the schedule. But like, this is what college football is about. When the team's doing well, you got to take those wins and celebrate them because you never know when the you know, it's going to flip off. And also celebrate how they've played, you know? I mean, I think a lot of people, I, I've noticed some Georgia State chatter. Um, you know, some national folks have been talking about them a little bit more lately. And a lot of people definitely don't, in my opinion, have the right flavor of how that Rhode Island game went. But even since then, Georgia State has allowed 14 points, 25 points, and then 17 points to Coastal last year. And seven of those 17 last week, excuse me, like we talked about in the postgame, you know, the postgame show that we did, seven of those came on a, you know, a dropped snap fumble or on a dropped punt. Uh, The snap was dropped by the punter and they were like six yards. Yeah. You know, and, and other special teams won the week before. The defense exactly. has not given up twenty points since the open. Exactly, you know, and I, I think it's not a perfect team. You know, there's absolutely things that they could clean up, um, but I, I don't know that I've ever seen Georgia State get to this point in conference play feeling as well as they ha- as they do now. You know, and I mean, obviously they won their first game last week in conference play, and you know, Troy's a Troy is the defending champions, but I really feel like you'd rather this game be in Atlanta. You'd rather feel like you're Georgia State than you'd want to be Troy right now. Yeah, and I mean, it's going to be a, the the biggest test defensively. I, I think we sized up UConn as maybe the best defense of the game so far, maybe Coastal, um, though certainly UConn is making that seem less like. It just seems like they're a bit of a mess 2023 but there's no disputing it at this point. Like Troy will be the best defense Georgia State's faced. And they don't necessarily at this point, they haven't been as salty as they were last year when they won the conference. Uh, but that doesn't mean they can't round up to that. And John Summerall's done a good job immediately getting them to competency, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And so be under no illusion that this is a good team coming in. They're coming in off of a, maybe the type of win that can springboard them to finding that again. And so the other part of it with them is they're already 0-1 in conference. They lost to James Madison. And so before they play a single team from the Sunbelt West, if they lose this game, they could be out of it. Because, you know, there's every chance that someone in the West is going to go undefeated in conference play or just drop one game. It at least would turn it to where, like, they have to beat South Al and they have to beat Texas State to try and get that tiebreaker at two losses. So... Not only is it a good team and the the sternest defense Georgia State's going to have faced yet, but like they've got real stakes for needing to win this one. And I'm I'm very curious to see how they play. You know, we can talk about the quote unquote X's and O's a little bit. Um, Troy has had some issues protecting the football. Um, they ha- are tied for the lead in turnovers as an offense in the Sun Belt this year. Um, and now I know they've the played bad tied for a lead. Correct. The, the bad tied for lead you don't want to be. Correct. They've already committed 10 turnovers as an offense through four games. Um, and, you know, in seeing that number, I was genuinely surprised. Um, and at first I tried to see, okay, is this like a, you know, they, they played Kansas State. Um, is this a, they played a tough opponent and that was the issue. 
Um, like, you know, what is going on? No, I mean, they've been giving up the ball to regardless of who the opponent is. They've been coughing up the football. Um, and that's not something that I would recommend doing against this iteration of Georgia State, even if you do have a good defense, simply because Georgia State is not doing that. And giving the Panthers more opportunities with the football could spell some big trouble for you as a defense. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you need to keep your defense on the field for a long time against Georgia State, you're probably going to have problems. Jordan hit the like the three big names, so to speak, for this Troy offense in his uh, summing up of this game that Gunnar Watson's the returning quarterback. Um, Kamani Vidal is ahead of Marcus Carroll by six yards, averaging 128 and a half per game. Uh, just a two touchdowns, so Marcus has still got that uh, FBS lead with eight on the season, but it'll be a battle between two of the better running backs in the Sun Belt, and it's two guys that are going to get a lot of the carries. And uh, Gunnar Watson's biggest target, the one that's shined the most, has been Chris Lewis, who just keeps making like pretty absurd catches. He, he mossed a guy against uh, Kansas State, he had another one, I think it was like a one-handed catch in that game. It was pretty ridiculous. And last week against Western Kentucky, he caught a Hail Mary at the end of the first half. Now, pretty play too. Thing hap- yeah, pretty play. things happen. I'd recommend covering the 6'4 guy in the end zone on a Hail Mary. Just, I'm not a football player. I'm not going to judge whatever happened in the situation. But that felt like a lapse from Western Kentucky because he really didn't have anyone right on top of him. And he was like, all right, I'm just going to jump up and grab this if that's cool with y'all. Um, so whether it's Bryce Heath Brown, whether it's Gavin Pringle, gonna have to have eyes on him because he is, you know, whether it's in the end zone or even the one-handed catcher, the the freaky catch he had against Kansas State was just like on a a quick out or something. Like on any play, his catch radius is pretty absurd, and he's put up some highlight plays already. So he's certainly gonna be a guy that Georgia State's defense, the secondary, is gonna have to watch out for. You know, and I mean, offensively, I, obviously, you mentioned Vidal. Um, Watson has had a pretty good year, um, I will say. He's passed over 300 yards back to back weeks, um, added 172. No, sorry, they rushed for 172 yards as a team last week. You know, they put up big numbers against uh, Western Kentucky, who I've heard their defense called stingy more than I've heard it called good. Um, but I mean, they still put up 521 yards as an offense, um, and only scored 27 points. You know, I think they'll, they've definitely moved the ball pretty well so far this year. That was the second time they've hit 500, uh, yards of total offense. You know, anytime you're moving the ball, getting six yards per offensive play, that's usually a good thing. Um, so it really seems like their biggest issue as it relates to scoring has just been, you know, are we taking care of the football enough to where it's not impacting our ability to put points on the board? And honestly, I would say no, that like, like I said earlier with the specific number of turnovers, I mean, Troy is ninth in the Sun Belt in points per game. Um, you know, that's, I, I wouldn't call that troubling. It's still 25. So that, you know, 25.5, it's, you know, they want to be higher, obviously. Um, but it's, it's not like they haven't been moving the, the football effectively. They're just not cashing in in the red zone. They're just turning it over. And I mean, that really does prevent an opportunity for Georgia state. You know, I hate the Ben don't break term, 
But, you know, if that's the style of defense that Georgia State is going to have to play against Watson and Vidal, that's, that, you know, that's how the game is going to have to be won. Yeah, I think it's going to be about, I think they're going to hit some plays. You know, Lewis is talented. Watson is going to take some shots. And he's got three interceptions so far this year, which uh, he was at, I don't know if that's a, a better, I can't do the math on, on my head. He had 12 last year, I believe. That is a better trajectory, uh, not a ton lower, but uh, maybe less mistake prone than he's been. The point of it is that I think they're going to hit some shots in the air. Um, Georgia State's shown a little bit of insecurity there, but what they've done the last three games after the Rhode Island uh, performance is they've gotten tackles. They've prevented guys from turning, okay, they got 20 yards of space into a touchdown. And once it's gotten into the red area, They've bowed up. They've been the best in the Sun Belt at preventing points. Scores at all end points. Um, so it'll be about making sure that if Vidal gets a nice run, it's not a nice touchdown run, and then doing your work from there. And if you're able to get them to lean into their tendencies of coughing up the ball, taking advantage of that. And then that leads into the other side of things where it, Troy hasn't been that prolific in forcing turnovers is defense, but I think they've still got that in them. I think it's a good defense. And so you're going to have to be guarded. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that I feel like we can't avoid mentioning. So I don't feel bad about speaking it into existence because no guarantee it's going to happen. But Darren Granger has not been responsible for a single turnover in 2023. If he makes it through this game and next game against Marshall without that, you know, if he is still at zero turnovers to that point, that will be a new level of impressiveness with just taking care of the football because I think he's going to get the two toughest tests he's had so far this week and then after the bye against Marshall. And so when you look at it and say, if Georgia State takes care of the ball, they should be pretty good because they've been moving the ball even against you know less good defenses in the last few weeks. It's easier to buy into it because they have not been mistake prone like that like they've had stuff crop up especially on special teams and boy it would be a good time to flip that script and not have it be three weeks now where you're looking at the special teams going "Mm." but it's again like it's what we said before the coastal game so we're i feel like we're going to keep repeating ourselves or i'm going to keep repeating myself until we see that side of this offense but it hasn't been the thing where you're looking at it and expecting like a three turnover night and so if that is where the game is going to turn is like who is taking care of the ball more. You have to look at it and just say that that's advantage Georgia state. Like you got to go out and do it again. And Troy has a hand in making sure they play more clean football. But if that is going to be an important thing. And like, I think the, the, the over underline suggests that everyone thinks this will be pretty low scoring. That's a big edge through four games that Georgia state has over Troy. The thing, too, about Georgia State's ability to hold on to the football is I couldn't tell you the last game Darren had a turnover-worthy play. I don't think it was either mm. Coastal or Charlotte. Mm. That I, I think it was UConn. Coastal. Was it Coastal? No. He had a couple low passes, but I don't remember on the, on a tipped the, ball. No, on, the, on the, two, the two-minute drill at the end of the first half, he threw one that basically should have been a pick. It was one of those outs that they, they jumped on the route. They were ready for it. and Defender probably should have had it. 
did the defender have it and like drop it or because I remember I think yeah, I remember the play you're talking about. Okay, it went through his hands. Okay, I mean defenders are always gonna like hit on the floor and be upset they didn't get a pick, but like on this one, I think he was right to be like I should have had that one. But that was game four, and that was really the first real time he put it anywhere in harm's way. Right, and you know he's made. I kind of thought to myself during the game last week um, just how. Jaren's IQ, like people have all, you know, throughout the season so far have talked about, oh, he's put on 10 pounds and, you know, he's such a better runner now because of it and blah, 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 which is true. Um, his decision making has been night and day. And I feel like that is something that has not been talked about nearly as much as it relates to his success and his ability to put up the passing numbers that he has. Decision making some, he's never particularly been a risky quarterback. I and mean, I think that was the virtue that he had in 2021 when he took over is it was kind of the same thing. Like I don't have the numbers anymore. I know I was like keeping track of it game by game in 2021, but like there was a stretch where the turnover margin was absurd. I think the Georgia state had like one in the stretch of like four or five games where the defense started just like piling up the turnovers. So he's always had that side, but I, to your point, and I touched on this in post game show going through his progressions and not necessarily scrambling, but staying in the pocket and waiting for a guy to get open or rolling out and seeing the guy get open. That part of the game has definitely been vastly improved this year. And it's the benefit of guys like Jakari Carter filling a nice role. Um, The other thing about this season that's been different, lending a lot of success to Georgia State, they've stayed pretty healthy and they're getting tested a little bit with that. Um, Chris bird did not play, did not travel to coastal Carolina. He is not on the too deep anymore at tight end. And so for a coach that doesn't really say much with these depth charts, a player being removed feels pretty telling that it's going to be kind of a long-term thing there. So chance for Amon green and Avion McBride to get some more plays, especially Amon green is going to be the guy. I think he's the only tight end who actually played a snap on offense against Coastal. So we'll see if it was kind of a partnership there. We'll see if now that it's just green, if it is going to be his as long as he's healthy. Um, Other guys, not anything concrete, but Tylon Dunlap missed last game. We'll see if he's back or if it's Anthony Bloom again. And Cradle, I did not see return after he made his catch on that first drive. Looked, I'm not a doctor. It didn't look great. It looked like he got rolled up a bit on his ankle. So we'll see, but... You know, if that's the extent of it, aside from just like the little stuff that everyone's dealing with every year, it's just totally a different world from last year where Blake Carroll was out. And by the time they got to like October, started having stuff with the offensive line where guys were missing games and that started being a real storyline for the offense, kind of hitting a bit of a wall. And so, look, it's better to be lucky than good. And I think so far, knock on whatever, Georgia State's been pretty lucky in that regard and even the ones i just mentioned i don't really think that those would flip a result even if all the people who you'd want to play aren't going to be available did dennis come back i think he he played yeah dennis played him yeah okay i wanted to i i thought so i I thought he was there yeah, a little so. Pringles missed like a play in each of the last two games, but then did not miss another snap after that, which they definitely, that would be one I would not sugarcoat. Like losing either your starting corners would be big because Pringles offered what he's had and Bryke, he's experienced guy. Um, 
but that's just the way it shakes sometimes. Like you're always going to have stuff crop up. It's a pretty violent sport. Injury is going to happen. Freak stuff happens. But, you know, on the balance of four games, Georgia State really can count themselves in a pretty good company as far as that goes. All right. That's just about all we have time for today. But of course, before we get you out of here, you know, we got to talk about sports bits, everything going on in Georgia State athletics this upcoming week. So today, as of the release of this podcast, volleyball hosts Marshall at 6 p.m. in Atlanta on ESPN plus moving on to Friday volleyball hosts Marshall for a second game at 2 PM on ESPN plus while women's soccer hosts Texas state at the GSU soccer complex at 7 PM also on ESPN plus. Then on Saturday, women's cross country heads up the road to Fairburn for the XC ASICS Alexander invitational at 8 50 in the morning, bright and early for the Panthers. There, softball heads up the road to Athens to face UGA at noon and at 2 p.m., men's soccer hosts West Virginia at the GSU Soccer Complex. That match will be on ESPN+. Plus. And then at 7 p.m., of course, football versus Troy in Center Park Stadium, ESPN+, Plus, WRSFM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. Moving on into October, nothing Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, but then on Wednesday, men's soccer travels down the road to Mercer to face the Bears at 7 p.m., that match on ESPN+. Plus. And that's everything going on Georgia State Athletics this week. We'll see you guys Saturday night at football versus Troy in center park stadium. So get out there, support the Panthers and we'll see you then also wanted to once again, say big thanks to Mike Holmes from all blue, all NIL for joining us on today's podcast. You can check out everything going on in the collective at www.allblueallnil.com and follow them on social networks with the same handle. So that's it. Have a fantastic week and go Panthers.